welcome back to the podcast for Cultural Reformation, brought to you by the Ezra Institute. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast for Cultural Reformation, brought to you by the Ezra Institute and also hosted on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. I'm Ryan Aris, and I'm joined once again by Dr. Joe Boot, and we're here to uh, continue this series that we've been embarking on on Ezra Answers Back. Uh, we're dealing with uh, not necessarily headlines so much, but items that are in the news and in the uh, the broader public consciousness that are important to uh, to deal with, and that uh, there's there seems to be a lot of confusion or a lot of uh, a lot of polarizing and uh, and narrow rhetoric one way or another and our our goal here is to seek to uh, to bring some clarity and some uh, biblical worldview perspective uh, to bear on these issues and today is uh, is no different before we get into uh, today's subject uh, just a couple of reminders we've got coming up at uh, in early December two Canadian Mission of God conferences uh first one is December 2nd, that's in Windsor, Ontario, and then the next week, December 9th, happening in Calgary, Alberta. Both of those, uh, bo- the themes for both of those events, the theme for both of those events is on uh, sexuality, redeeming sexuality, and we're going to be dealing with uh, questions of transgenderism, uh, marriage, uh, I the other uh, the other subjects are escaping me right now, but uh, they're all mm-hmm. going to be dealing with the, those related themes. And we've got uh, coming out shortly a uh, a companion book to go along uh, with that theme. This is uh, an edited collection of essays from several of our uh, our friends and fellows. Uh, Joe has a chapter in there on the matter of transgenderism, and uh, that'll be uh, that'll be coming out shortly uh, from Ezra Press. So you're going to want to uh, watch for that. Speaking of Ezra Press, last thing, November's book of the month is the Advent devotional guide, Behold Your King. Grant and Erica Van Brimmer wrote this a couple of years ago, uh, and this is a family uh, Advent guide. You, we go through it for you know, one uh, once a day, one page a day, lesson a day. There are Christmas carols, there are scripture readings, and there's a short meditation on this theme of Christ as King, and it's a it's a unique uh, Advent piece, and we uh, we really are supportive of it. We found it very helpful uh, in our church, in our family, and that uh, that is available to you uh, at a discount uh, the whole month of November. So you're going to want to visit EzraPress.com and uh, pick up a copy of that. Tickets for that event, those uh, Mission of God conferences are available at EzraInstitute.com. So without further ado, good to see you again, Joe. Good to see you, Ryan. Yeah, it's been a very, very busy few weeks, and uh, it's been good to have some great guests on the show as well, one or two. I know that uh, we had Tobias join us last week. Just uh, last I week, yeah. From, yeah. Yeah, it's from Germany, and, uh, and I know we also had um, John Cooper. Um, I haven't as you know, been able to, uh, uh, in, in the last few weeks, be at all of our podcast appointments because of our travel schedule with the Institute, but um, back mm-hmm. in the saddle today. Yep. Yeah. So uh, yeah, regular listeners will remember that 
all of those all of those events that uh, that we had promoted that are now in the past here in this uh, in early November. Uh, Joe was at those; he had to uh, to get to them. So, but we're uh, we're grateful that you can be uh, back with us as usual on uh, on this week. Today, as I just mentioned, we're in early November. We're looking ahead uh, to, uh, this coming weekend to uh, remem- Remembrance Day ceremonies. Uh, that's uh, that's what we call uh, November 11th in, uh, in Canada, uh, Armistice Day, I believe, in, in the UK, Veterans Day in America. Uh, November 11th, the, the, uh, the end, the, the, the final ceasefire uh, of the Great War, World War I, that, uh, that's being marked, uh, that, uh, that we have marked every year as, uh, as long as you and I have been alive and, uh, and sometime before then. But uh, it's, uh, it's in the news today as we follow up on a, uh, a previous conversation that we had uh, on the subject of, uh, of the uh, Israeli-Palestine war and then not so much the, the events of that, that war in the Middle East, but the, uh, the res- response and reaction to it uh, back home in the West. So that's what we're going to be dealing with today. And I've just got a couple of uh, couple of snippets to uh, to kick us off here. Uh, I mentioned Remembrance Day because as there are, as uh, towns, communities, nations are preparing to observe this day, uh, there are there and it's it, there are pro-Palestine demonstrations happening uh, throughout the West where cenotaphs are having uh, wreaths and poppies removed and replaced uh, with Palestinian flags, for example. Uh, We know, and I know that uh, you're going to get into this in more detail, Joe, uh, we know that there's a uh, a major uh, pro-Palestine march planned for uh, for this coming uh, armistice weekend. And there there are fears, there are anxieties that that some some of the uh, some of the participants uh, that it, it could get uh, it could get violent uh, that uh, there's a risk to the broader uh, society in general and the uh, just the the provocative and inflammatory tactic of of planning uh, such a march on such a day. Uh, so maybe maybe you can start there. You can I can, I'll ask you to fill in some more of the details on. Uh, what is planned and how is it how it is being, I guess, uh, responded to or apprehended, and from there, uh, what what is I guess what is unique about the Islamic worldview that uh, that lends itself to such uh, such approaches and such tactics? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a very challenging weekend, Ryan, in many respects, and as you've correctly described there around the much of the western world we're coming up to a very important date in the calendar this coming weekend with uh, remembrance and uh, armistice the the 11th of the 11th in 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 the uk at 11 o'clock on the 11th day of the 11th month um, a Mm -hmm. a time of of silence is observed and so on and uh, this is an important time uh, with respect to especially uh, those who, uh, remembering those who defended what Winston Churchill actually called um, 
the fight for the preservation of, of Christian civilization. Of course, he said that with specific reference to the Second World War. And we know, of course, that Armistice Day is, was re- with reference to the Great War, the First World War. But as you know, Remembrance Sunday now really encompasses uh, the memory of the, the both the world wars and more recent conflicts. But mm-hmm. the particular issue, of course, is the, the in the Western consciousness is that this represents the defense of freedom and liberty. And uh, for Western history, for Western European history in North America, that liberty and freedom, if you go all the way back to there, the beginning of the 20th century, and then, of course, um, the, 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 the um, middle of the 20th century and the late 1930s and early 1940s, that the concept of freedom and liberty that governed our civilization then was a Christian conception of freedom and liberty. And it's one of the reasons why Churchill described the, the Second World War in the way that he did. And so it is appropriate that, that uh, as a society, we, we look back on those conflicts, not um, in terms of the glorification of war, which uh, the Remembrance Day certainly is not, but as a remembrance of the sacrifice of uh, others, of previous generations, for um, their posterity. And of course, we live in a time increasingly, Ryan, where that is, you know, more and more a foreign concept that we would actually sacrifice ourselves for our children and our children's children, because we Mm -hmm. have a view of reality, we have a world and life view uh, that sees uh, a sort of covenantal reality as basic to um, society. Uh, And that was the older Christian view that ultimately life is about God and his kingdom in and through Jesus Christ, that liberty and freedom comes through the gospel that brings justice and uh, peace and uh, the rule of law, uh, that um, self-sacrifice is a virtue, and that uh, our lives are about more than ourselves. It's not just about me and my desires and my self-fulfillment but it's about uh, the future as well. It's about our children, our children's children, and for the Christian about the progress of the kingdom of God in history. And that there are times when um, the ultimate sacrifice may be uh, asked of us for our families, for our children, uh, and so on. And there were uh, these men and women who paid that ultimate price, and that is right that we remember and so certainly within the uh, the Church of England in the United Kingdom, this is a very important part of annual worship, liturgy, um, uh, celebrations, remembrance. You'll see local war memorials in churches decorated. There'll be services of remembrance. This is not just what we might call a, a state uh, event of, of remembrance, but it is very much part of the historic fabric Uh, of the country. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's important that it's put in the context of the broader issue of the struggle for the survival of freedom and justice and truth and righteousness. And that fundamentally uh, is what uh, those celebrations historically have meant to people. Now, of course, we're dealing with a a time where these things are declining. I was told uh, not so long ago by by a teacher 
at a very very prominent uh, a public school, which I will which will remain nameless for the sake of this broadcast. <laughs> Uh, but a but a very very famous it would be immediately recognisable to most of our listeners if I mentioned it, um, where uh, she asked a class of young men um, whether uh, recently whether they would fight for their country if called upon to do so, and the vast majority said no. And of course that uh, says a couple of things. One, they're not sure what they would be fighting for. And two, um, the the civic virtue that uh, recognizes the necessity of of, of self sacrifice on behalf of others is in is in decline. So, you know, this is um, this is a an interesting, a very interesting moment. You know, for for many Western nations. A few weeks ago, there was that controversy in Canada about the chaplains being told that they were not allowed to pray on remembrance day uh, f- uh in the name of in the name of god in the name of christ and then i think there was a lot of publicity around that um and uh they walked it back somewhat but so yeah. in in many respects without even the introduction of the the question of islam and uh, islamization and the issue of the middle eastern um conflict at the moment the the issue of remembrance was already uh one that uh is you know under threat to some degree you know it's easy over time for people to uh to suffer from a kind of cultural amnesia uh and you know many young people today in in Canada and the United States and and, and the United Kingdom wouldn't know what the holocaust was they wouldn't be able to tell you the first thing about uh nazism uh mm-hmm. let let alone have any sort of grasp of what was going on during the first world war so you know these are um these are issues which um become increasingly remote when we don't pass on that that cultural memory and it's of course religious commitment faith commitment that passes on that cultural memory so we've got on the one hand we've got these important celebrations coming up the uh, commemorations i sh- should say coming up of gratitude, of thankfulness, of remembrance. Uh, and that is something that we, we've been already struggling as a culture to maintain because of the context of de-Christianization. And now we have this other element where we're seeing a belligerent Islamism in Western cities, uh, in Britain, in the United States, in Europe, in Canada. Uh, we're seeing uh, a belligerent anti-Semitism a belligerent anti-Western, uh, anti-British uh, sentiment um, uh, being expressed, and uh, it is it is charged by the um, the ideology of Islam, and because the West is uh, uh, Britain and and the United States in particular are seen to be uh, supportive of the democratic state of Israel. And supportive of Israel's right to defend itself, uh, very conscious of the battle against the genocidal uh, fascistic regime of the Nazis in in uh, Nazi Germany and the struggle to defeat uh, Nazi Germany and the 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 discovery of the extent of the Holocaust of the Jews. 
and of course then their establishment of a um uh, of a of a free uh, state of Israel um in the region of course very different boundaries from the from the biblical boundaries but nonetheless a state about the size of Wales um and the um the 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 very tense and indeed the very precarious situation in which the Jews in the state of Israel uh, has perpetually found itself, quite frankly, um, since its establishment as as a state surrounded by uh, the Islamic countries, uh, many of whom, like Iran, are bent on its total annihilation and destruction. I was very interested, in fact, to listen to a speech actually by a Canadian politician um, recently where she's Iranian and uh, yes. she uh, spoke very powerfully, I thought, and very strongly about her family's fleeing the Islamic regime in Iran, um, this this totalitarian uh, regime in Iran for Canada to live in peace and freedom and security and how it is sort of sending um, shivers down the spine of Iranians in the diaspora in Western countries to see people marching draped not just in Palestinian but in Iranian uh, flags and in support of not only uh, the Islamist uh, terror organization of Hamas, which is, of course, supported by the Iranian regime, but draped in uh, the regalia of the Iranian regime as well. And the sense of insecurity uh, that that um, brings up in people. And she talks specifically about the fact that what we're seeing, especially as we approach this weekend of commemoration, is the almost total lack of, of integration, of proper integration of immigrants um, from Islamic countries into Western states. Um, there are, mm -hmm. of course, always exceptions, but it's difficult to, when you, when you look at 100,000 people, for example, 100,000 people um, stoked by um, Iranian agents in, in Britain, and actually, in this case uh, here, led by a former leader of Hamas, um, who, right. th where there is a right. total refusal to uh, change at the present time, there's a total refusal to change the plans for protests and marches and demonstrations during this re this remembrance weekend. Um, and you begin to realize that uh, there has uh, people are starting to realize. Of course, people like you and I, Ryan, have known this for a very long time, and I wrote about it in the Mission of God, but. Um, it takes a long time for these humanists, these secularists, for, the, for, for sanity and reality to dawn upon them, it seems, um, that there has not been an integration uh, in terms of what, you, what uh, the politicians call Canadian values or British values, um, but uh, more of a ghettoization, really, um, and very much a um, sort of the formation of various strongholds of um, uh, Islamic identity, culture, and conviction, where people identify more with uh, not only the their um, uh, religion, their religious confession um, from another land, but with but with the, the their their country of origin itself. 
And so that makes for, of course, very, very poor integration if the values of the religion that has come with them is contrary to the values of their and the virtues of their host culture. Um, and this is what we're seeing. And, and uh, this Iranian politician in Canada, I thought, very ably pointed this out and um, was was raising the alarm. And such is the concern right now in the UK that um, this week there is a COBRA meeting, which is code for a, a meeting that the Prime Minister in the United Kingdom calls with um, basically various heads of department as well as the, with the secret services and the security services in the United Kingdom to figure out how to address um, this uh, this unwillingness to change demonstrations and protests, which are a deliberate and direct provocation of the British people uh, by the by a, 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 an Islamic um, minority, by an Islamist minority, um, to disrupt. Um, and uh, as I say, it's being led at the moment by a former leader of Hamas who's been living in a council house in London at the expense of the taxpayer, I believe, for quite some time. And this is how foolish we are. So this is what is filling the news. This is why sort of Ezra's answering back on this this week, because, you know, we've got really these two subjects. We've got the the issue of our own history and and remembrance and, and thankfulness and the, and the sort of covenantal understanding of a Christian society um, that mm-hmm. uh, looks beyond itself and its own um, personal desires and personal needs to the future and for the inheritance that we're bequeathing to the next generation, um, as well as then this uh, Trojan horse of Islamism that has been allowed to take root in our in our countries. In fact, the first minister of Scotland, Hamza Youssef, has been very plain about the fact that he supports protests going ahead uh, this weekend. That's how that's, right. that's how serious yes. a situation um, we we now have with um, Islamic uh, ideology, and of course, most of these people who are part of these marches have no direct relationship to the situation in Palestine at all, none whatsoever. Uh, there will be a few mm-hmm. that have um, uh, have relatives in the region, but, but but the vast majority, and of course, there are, there are the Marxist groups and the student revolutionary groups thrown in as well. But it's primarily um, uh, Islamic uh, groups that are that are putting all of this together, um, and uh, you've got the useful idiots on the left who who, who muck in and and, uh, and and do their bidding. But this is the this is the situation now, um, where really you could you could you could say that. Um, we're talking about what would have been construed into previous generations as fundamentally treasonous activity where mm-hmm. you you're dealing mm-hmm. with enemies of the state within who have uh, uh, enmeshed themselves into positions of power and influence i mean get this Ryan. one of the one of the main advisors to the metropolitan police in previous weeks of these demonstrations um uh is a radical uh muslim um, an Islamist who has been leading chants from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. And because he's part of some um, Islamist group that the police consult for community relations, this guy is in the police operations headquarters 
uh, giving advice, live advice during these marches and advising on what is or is not anti-Semitism or, um, uh, uh, you know, just virulent hatred of the Jews. Uh, and, you know, oh, there's boy. a kind of, there's been such a deep infiltration in so many of these areas that um, people are beginning to see that there is a, there is a, there is a civilizational and cultural uh, clash here that the politicians are very afraid to talk about. They're afraid of pointing it out um, because of what it means for the, the idealized project of multiculturalism, which is not, uh, as we often remind our listeners, not uh, many ethnicities living together. Uh, that's about the supposed equality of all religious claims, of kind of religious pluralism that uh, we can mm-hmm. all just have one big melting pot of contradictory religious convictions and worldviews, and uh, uh, everything's going to be just fine. Um, and there's no need for a deeper sense of integration and so on. Um, we're starting to realize in the West, I think, very slowly uh, that um, Pandora's box has been opened. Whether it can be closed again, I think, is a is a very, very different question. Right. Actually, you you preempted my next uh, my next question on that point, specifically about multiculturalism. And uh, in Canada, uh, at least in popular consciousness, that is an official policy or an, an official value. Uh, we we know that uh, that it it can't actually obtain. And uh, I'm I watched that same video of that uh, that Iranian Canadian uh, politician. Uh, who concluded that uh, that interview by calling out Prime Minister Trudeau, saying that he's you know he's got some you know some nice pleading words, but he's got no action because he has no category for for a, a exclusive religious worldview, and it's uh, it really seems from uh, from everything that he has said that he is he is nervous. Uh, but he has no no response to a uh, an exclusive and uh, adversarial worldview like we're seeing in uh, you know in what uh, in Islam. Yeah. Bearing in mind an, an official policy of multiculturalism, uh, which is uh, which is a practical impossibility. And the uh, I have in mind. I think it was. Uh, I think it was in his book Orthodoxy. G.K. Chesterton uh, addresses the uh, the early twentieth century criticism that of of religion generally. That uh, oh, rel- religion is a major source of conflict and of war, and we we would be better off without it. This is not, this is not a new critique, by the way. It was old a hundred years ago when Chesterton was talking about it, but. Uh, but he just kind of looked at it, and in his uh, in his typical way, just kind of jujitsu's the claim and puts it on his on its head. And he says, "Of course, it's a it's a matter of conflict. It's important. We people care about these things, and uh, mm-hmm. it it seems that uh, certain certainly in Canada, with our official posture of multiculturalism, and from what you're describing, it sounds like it's a similar situation in Britain. That uh, that we we're struggling to respond." Uh, to a religious Islamic worldview that uh, that makes exclusive claims, and we we've mm-hmm. I guess we've forgotten or we've failed to acknowledge that the the Christian worldview that that built the West 
also makes exclusive claims, and uh, uh, we we seem to have uh, have backed off of those claims. That's precisely why we are unable to combat um, a belligerent exclusivist worldview like Islam. The the reality is that Islam in in the West for some time has um, bided its time, if you will, as a worldview because mm. it's well aware that you need numbers. So the, um, the 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 fact is is that um, in a in a in a context where you're in an, an extreme minority. And if the culture you're in has a great deal of self-confidence um, and is determined to enculturate and um, assimilate um, a, a, a gradual uh, small number of, of migrants, um, of immigrants through legal forms of, of, of immigration, um, a, a culture that's confident in itself where the uh, the the, the convictions of the dominant culture uh, are strong and and firm, uh, and uh, you know that and that culture believes in its in its uh, convictions and is ready to fight for them, uh, as was so in the past. Then, actually, um, legal immigration of 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 small numbers of people from different uh, cultural backgrounds, different religious persuasions, is is completely manageable. And assimilation is possible, as witness actually um, both the Iranian lady, the politician you were referring to in her speech in Canada, but also a man like Rishi Sunak, whose family are from a Hindu background, but he went to Winchester mm-hmm. Boys School and uh, he's a conservative uh, politician today um, yeah. in what is still functionally and legally, constitutionally, a Christian state. Uh, so... That kind of assimilation is possible, um, but only when it's very carefully managed and on, and it's only workable when the host culture uh, maintains strong convictions and is ready to stand on those convictions. But um, Islam over time, um, as, a, as a religious worldview, Islam it has a, a kind of a missionary agenda um, it has a, an expansionist agenda. We'll talk a bit more about the theological roots of that in a moment. But just in terms of the immediacy of of, uh, of this issue, the uh, the goal, um, and and very often it is felt that uh, you know social commentators have pointed out that that uh, Islam certainly after the fall of the Ottoman Empire um, around the time of the First World War. Really, the Islamic world um, lost any sort of meaningful global influence. Uh, it was seen as marginal by most people in the West, not a threat. Um, most Islamic uh, countries were seen as poorer, developing world nations. Um, and, and those observations were true. The, 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 the cultural dominance of, um, of Western uh, Christendom, of democratic powers, uh, of um, tech, f- far superior technolog- technological ability and know-how and so on, meant that people really began to feel that Islam was um, was no longer a a threat. 
Um, but uh, a great deal of cultural um, progress, or at least um, uh, let's call it a religious progress, uh, has been made without firing a gun, um, because the the you know the neo pagan doctrine of multiculturalism that you've just pointed out, Ryan, which naively opens up its arms, thinking that it can be the uh, the sort of neutral arbitrator of all religious worldviews in terms of its own worldview, of course, um, uh, and that um, and that Islam um, will just fit nicely into that and and, and will cooperate uh, very um, uh, you know benevolently and biddably with uh, with this agenda. Um, well, that's been taken advantage of. I mean, people don't really even understand the, the, the significance and the meaning of a mosque. A, a mosque is a symbol of cultural victory. Uh, there are only two mm-hmm. houses in the world, in the worldview of Islam. There's the house of Islam and there's the house of war. The house of war is where the kafir, the, the, it's a derogatory term for the unbeliever, lives mm-hmm. and the goal um with the kafir is to bring them into submission uh and a symbol uh, one of the symbols of that submission is the mosque uh and the 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 uh, the presence of mosques in the house of war um and this is a, an aspect or a form or a part of the struggle of of jihad which as you know, can take a militaristic form, as we've seen with Hamas um, uh, in their genocidal attack, uh, 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 undeclared war um, on October 7th, I think it was, on on the Jewish state. Um, And it can also take the form of uh, forms of Islamic education and uh, mosque building and protest and so on. And uh, they very cleverly and astutely, in a partnership with the radical left in the West, utilized this fallacious doctrine of multiculturalism to to quietly build their strength, to um, infiltrate the arena of politics and education and policing and almost every area of um, our society, and to use the liberties and freedoms bequeathed by the um, Western tradition, actually, and the English common law, biblical law, a law in which they don't believe, by the way, uh, because the law of Islam is Sharia. And the goal mm-hmm. of uh, Islam in the house of war is the realization of the Islamic Ummah, that is the, 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 co- the collective people of Islam, those who, who follow and live by the example, life, teaching, model, um, customs, and so forth of Muhammad. And so... Um, in very small numbers, it doesn't seem significant. It doesn't seem to be a threat. But then all of a sudden, uh, when an issue they care about, as those numbers grow and those numbers build, and suddenly an issue they care about arises, um, not because, as I said earlier, you know, for the vast majority of Muslims living in Britain, Gaza has anything directly to do with them, but because it has some, it did concern the Jews, did concern um, and uh, Muhammad, and, and are a concern within the um, Islamic uh, materials, uh, the 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 sort of authoritative texts of Islam, which are primarily the Quran and the Sunnah, which is uh, made up of two parts. Um, about sixty percent of those core texts is made up of. 
of teaching against the kafir, against the unbeliever, um, how they must be um, criticized, uh, conquered, brought into submission, um, and so forth. And because of the West's total lack of familiarity with these texts and the sort of naive stupidity of people thinking that um, Islam is basically like Christianity, but just with a slightly few differences. And you know, because we use the yeah. same terms like God and charity and, um, uh, and, and law and marriage um, and paradise, that these are somehow basically equivalent with just some minor differences here and there doctrinally. Nothing could be further from the truth, and um, it is it is part of the problem is that terrible naivety um, and foolishness uh, amongst Westerners has meant that that slowly and gradually numbers um, uh, committed to uh, the Islamic worldview have swelled, and when an issue crops up, then that they do care about because the the Islamic um, texts are anti-Christian, they're anti-Trinitarian, they're anti-the gospel of Christ, um, and they're anti-Jewish, they're, they're anti-Semitic in their character. Um, these are, in those materials, the people of Christians and Jews are the people of the book. Um, and an, initially, uh, Muhammad um, had a sort of fairly positive attitude towards them um, as uh, you know, people concerned with uh, the worship of one God. But as he was um, uh, rejected as a prophet and went from being a fairly unsuccessful uh, missionary, um, uh, went to uh, Medina then uh, eventually and, and, and raised an army and became a military leader and a political figure. And, and suddenly he's sweeping, you know, tens of thousands of people into uh, into um, his worldview. Um, that's when he starts to become and the texts of of the uh, of the uh, Quran. Um, the various sunnas, uh, the, the various suras, I should say, become right. more yeah. and more anti-Christian and anti-Jewish in their character, in their polemic. And so, you know, if you um, begin to see, you know, significant numbers, concentration of people who are committed to Islam as a worldview, build and grow in a given area, when an issue like the this Israeli-Palestine um, situation uh, comes up, um, you know. Don't forget when 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 that um, initial horrendous terror attack took place. Um, before Israel had even mobilized uh, uh, um, a military uh, force, or, or or even headed toward um, uh, Gaza, um, within less than a week. Um, protests or demonstrations celebrating what Hamas had just done were breaking out around the West. So uh, this has to do with religious commitment. That's obvious. It's just it's crystal clear that this has to do with religious worldview. And um, you know this is this situation in Israel and Gaza has touched on something that um, Muslims around the world care about, as G.K. Chesterton put it. Rightly or wrongly, and that, that's the mm -hmm. debate, of course, between Christianity and Islam. Um, uh, it is this is something that they care about, and you know the Iranian regime um, cares about it to the to the extent that it wants um, Israel itself gone. It sees it as a rusty dagger in the heart of the Islamic world. Um, mm -hmm. So, 
when that crops up, suddenly then, because there's a sense of belligerent confidence in numbers, uh, they come out in force and are prepared to show in a way that perhaps they haven't before the extent of their commitment to uh, the Islamic worldview. And, um, you know, honest, um, uh, committed Muslims would agree with what I'm saying here. I'm not saying anything uh, controversial. Um, you know, right. uh, if you've got a, a convinced and convicted Muslim neighbor um, who is uh, is serious about their faith, the issues I've just raised about um, uh, the the Quran and the Sunnah, the, um, the 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 model of of Muhammad as being the model for the for the Muslim, his life, his example, his sayings, his teachings, his customs. Um, this is the perpetual model for the Muslim. And so this is really the challenge that is uh, is facing the rest the West right now in this situation. Um, and because the marches and 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 these things are being um, sort of done at a time that's designed to uh, to provoke and to make the strongest point, um, you know, during Remembrance weekend and Armistice Day, um, you can see that it's a direct assault on Western civilization as such. It's it's a uh, um, it's a, it's an insult to to Western civilization and to um, the Christian culture that they have occupied. Right, Joe. I appreciate you bringing that full circle back to this uh, this question of Remembrance Day uh, as we're uh, as we're looking to. To wrap up this conversation for today, uh, I just I just have, a, have to get back to uh, the uh, the religious as well as the sort of the historic uh, national cultural context. Uh, what can you just comment on the uh, the prophetic and priestly role and responsibility of the church in all of this? Uh, if we're mm-hmm. if we're talking about Historic Christian nations, uh, and especially uh, in Britain, where you are with an established church, uh, what uh, what is the what is the role of the church in you know protecting, preserving, speaking to uh, sites and uh, events of cultural significance, cultural memory? Yeah, that's a great question because. As a kingly priesthood, as prophets, priests, and kings in Christ, we have a, a serious and significant obligation um, as Christians uh, to uphold the the claims of Christ, the truth of His Word, um, and to um, to remember. It's interesting, isn't it, that the are uh, the, the you know the two major sacraments of the Church, of course, are baptism, um, and and the other is the communion feast, which is an act of remembrance. And it's an act of remembrance of the sacrifice of Christ for his people. Um, and uh, of course, we know also that it's more than just memorial uh, for, for those with a reformed understanding. It's also our means of grace, because as we remember uh, the past, um, in the present, we participate in the salvific work of Christ as we look to the future um, till he comes. So the communion feast unites past, present, and future in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, when that is the underpinning of a culture, when people have made sacrifices for the preservation of righteousness and justice, um, when it when that is directly tied um, to the kingdom of God, remember, you know, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, um, the righteousness and justice, you know, are 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 so absolutely central. Um, when people have given mm-hmm. their lives in the cause of righteousness and justice, it's not that there's never ambiguity, but remember Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, than they laid, than he laid down his life for his friends. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the laying down of, when people lay down their lives in sacrifice for, for others, to serve others, to, to protect others, um, that is worthy of remembrance, and it's doubly worthy of remembrance when it is consistent with the righteousness and justice of God. And um, so, I think as as Christian people, um, we don't we shouldn't glorify uh, war. Um, Christianity um, doesn't glorify conflict. War is a tragedy, um, but it is sometimes necessary. Um, in the defeat of evil and wickedness and injustice. Uh, and um, th- this is how the scriptures portray Christ's uh, sacrifice. Was, it, was, it, it was in the context of war, of conflict. Remember the parable that Jesus told, a strong man fully armed guards his own house. And so it's only when another stronger than him ties him up, defeats him, that he can actually rob his house. And he... he told that parable to, il- parable to illustrate the two kingdoms of darkness and light uh, mm-hmm, where, the, mm-hmm. where the strong man is Satan and Christ is the man who is even stronger, who makes war uh, on, the, on the enemy, defeats him, and then robs, plunders his house. And so the cross is depicted as the defeat of the powers of darkness, um, as, the, as the crushing of the head of, state, of Satan. It's part of a, a war. Uh, a war between the powers of righteousness, uh, the power of righteousness and justice and truth, and against wickedness, sin, evil, and death. So it's it's life versus death. Um, and so you see the parallels, and, and this is why Christians have marked the graves of uh, the dead um, and the war dead with the cross. And the cross That's is right. ultimately yeah, a symbol exactly. of peace. It's a symbol of God's peace, God making peace with us. But it took Christ going to war with the enemy of our souls against all principality and power and all spiritual wickedness, which we are still in conflict with um, because we are in Christ. We are part of that struggle and that battle. But Christ dealt the dealt the decisive blow at the cross when he made an open spectacle of these principalities and powers and uh, at the at the consummation of all things christ will slay satan with the breath of his mouth and uh, it will be the 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 fullness of his vanquishing of the foe will be fully manifest um so in a certain sense we can say the christian church is on the mopping up exercise in history you know, uh, Christ mm-hmm. has defeated the enemy, but we've been told to chase them to the river. Um, and, uh, uh, and, and so that's the task. So there is a, there is a, there is a powerful link between Christ's victory and remember, and the communion service 
and remembrance of those who sacrificed themselves for their people. Um, and, and as Christians, we should be, we should be custodians of that um, as we remember that society is a covenant relationship fundamentally between the past, the present, and the future, between the living and the dead. We, they, they, they entrusted us um, with their legacy in that sense. Uh, they fought for freedom and justice against injustice and tyranny. And um, we're entrusted with that, with that uh, legacy. I'm reminded really, especially as we sort of conclude, with the, the the contrast here between um, Christ, who came to make peace um, in his conflict with spiritual wickedness, and Muhammad, whose life testifies to um, a purpose to make war and to conquer with the sword and bring into subjugation um, peoples, not by the preaching of the good news of the gospel of the kingdom, but by the sword. Um, Actually, Abraham Kuyper um, wrote extensively on Islam. Um, his reflections are very, very interesting. Of course, some of his historical observations are, are out of date now. Um, but some of his observations are very interesting. And he said this. Uh, he said, Islam appeals to the human propensity toward pride and sensuality. Its principal ideas and fixed mm -hmm. norms are clear, simple, and easy to understand it not only directs religious feeling, but determines all of life. He's talking about it as a worldview. To the zealous, right. it offers the ideal combination of power and might capable of igniting the deepest passions. The mosques and minarets of Islam resound endlessly with the praises of Allah, Al-Rahman, Al-Rahim, Allah, the all-merciful and all-compassionate. But one hears nothing of a deeper awareness of sin and a desire for reconciliation with this compassionate God, of a father in heaven who comes to his children with the plea, be reconciled to God, Islam knows nothing. The mighty one of Islam has compassion but not holiness, which is attained only through inward reconciliation. In the idea of holy love, Allah is completely lacking. And I think, you know, we've hmm. seen that, we see that contrast in what Armistice, uh, what Remembrance Sunday represents, which is the remembrance yeah. of sacrifice to make peace. And what I think these, um, these provocative pro protests are directed towards, um, which is um, an in a symbol, a, 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 a sign really, a signal of the conquest and the victory of Islam over the Christian and the Jew, which is why Hamas is celebrated, because that's how they saw, many of them saw, I should say, not all Muslims. I'm talking about the ideology of Islam. Um, and Muslims are, to varying degrees, faithful to that commitment. But that's why many celebrated what Hamas actually did uh, to those children, to the innocents, mm -hmm. uh, to, to yeah. those poor uh, Jewish victims of that attack. And it's important to understand as we think about the kingdom of God and, and the preaching of the gospel and the obligation of the church, which you asked about, because our obligation is the kingdom of God. And what is the kingdom of God? The scripture says it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's the kingdom yeah. of God. It's where the rule and reign of Christ is manifest. 
and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But where Islamism dominates, where Islam is, there isn't liberty. There is uniformity. There is totalitarian rule. Um, there is the imposition of Sharia. There is the counterfeit kingdom of the Ummah. Um, because uh, here we have, and, and I think probably it's worthy of another podcast uh, for us to talk about this in more detail so that people's understanding of it is, uh, is deepened. But fundamentally, because our Muhammad is seen as the final revelation uh, and the, the vehicle of the revelation of Allah, um, his life, as we've said, and his customs, his testimony, his way of life, and so forth, is the model, uh, permanently the model. In a sense, it's the form. He is the manifestation of the form of the will mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. God. Um, it is it is always incumbent upon Islam to be seen to be in cultural ascendancy. In fact, the only possible vindication of its idea of revelation is its cultural ascendancy, ascendancy at all times. As the uh, the final revelation that is supposed to steer um, all of history under its sway in the realization of a of a of a, a com competing kingdom, Christians would say a counterfeit kingdom of God in the Ummah, um, which is centered in uh, a sort of um, increasingly uh, a divinized individual in the way he's perceived. Uh, in in Muhammad, um, whose way of life is seen as this eternal model. So the comparison really comes down to Christ and his armistice, his word of peace, his word of remembrance that he has defeated sin and death and the devil, and he's bringing to us reconciliation with God. In that sense, he answers the cry of the Muslim. He meets the the, the, the religious longing of the Muslim for a kingdom and for some kind of fellowship with the, the divine is answered in the Lord Jesus Christ in his reconciliation, his armistice. He brings peace with God and he brings us into his kingdom of, of righteousness, peace and justice. The increase of which we're told in the scripture will never end of the increase of his government and of his peace. There shall be no end. Christ mm -hmm. answers the religious longing of Islam um, of the Muslim, I should say. But Islam offers no rest, no peace, no reconciliation, only the endless struggle, only this perpetual jihad in the, the vain hope that um, you might be given. There's a possibility that if you strive enough, maybe you'll be granted access to paradise. Um, but even if you get into this concept of paradise, there is no God there. To have fellowship with. There's no cleansing from sin and guilt and shame. And so we declare as the church, Ryan, Christ's armistice, Christ's peace. Um, and we, we and in the in the Eucharist, in the communion, we celebrate, we remember the cross of Christ, the blood of Christ, the redemption of Christ that gives us peace and reconciliation with God. And so not only do we have an obligation at this time of remembrance to make the gospel known and to make that link between armistice, remembrance and the gospel, but we have an obligation to our Muslim neighbor. We have an obligation to the Muslims living in our midst. 
where God gives us opportunity. And by the way, I have extended family members who were Muslim and are now Christians. This happens, right. that they mm -hmm. discover and find reconciliation and peace with God in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to be increasingly thinking as believers, how can we now, when we see these sort of mobilized armies almost of people in the streets, um, uh, demonstrating and chanting in the name of Islamism, in the name of Islam, that how can we effectively bring them the gospel of Christ that answers the religious hunger of Islam for a kingdom and for somehow uh, um, a fellowship with God, who in Islam is unknown, remote, totally transcendent and unknowable, but in in the gospel has been brought near incarnate in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that's a uh, that's an excellent sort of a way to uh, to bring this full circle, uh, answering the the emptiness, the the felt emptiness of the uh, the Islamic worldview, the striving that uh, that necessarily inheres in that, and the way that it's uh, it's resolved and uh, fulfilled in Christ. Um, really appreciate uh, this uh, this whole conversation. This has been. Uh, this has been great. I hope this has been instructive for uh, for those who have been listening. And I remind you as we close that uh, from him and through him and to him are all things. That's Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. This has been the podcast for Cultural Reformation, and we'll look forward to being with you again next week. <laughs>